The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening. Or if you're catching us on one of your favorite places, listen to podcasts later in the week. It is always fun to sit down and talk sports with you all. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And you know what, Kelsey? It's been a we had a good Thanksgiving week. We both got a chance to sit back, enjoy some festivities, enjoy some food, enjoy some not competitive football, unfortunately. And now we're just now it's right back on the grind. That week after the holidays, always a little bit more tires. Yeah, it's been, you know, kind of wild. I shouldn't say wild week. Uh, it's been a pretty boring week, honestly, in the last couple of days of, uh, of of NFL football. Unfortunately, it hasn't been that way for college football. Uh, far from it. Um, lots of tears shed this weekend uh, by myself and probably many other um, fans of other teams uh, out there. Um, I know Ohio probably shed a few tears as well. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, like it's it's been it's a holiday weekend. It's rivalry week. We just finished that up and and we all know how that goes. There's a winner. There's a loser. And unfortunately, there's heartbreak. No non-stop absolutely there's always people that are there's tears of joy there's tears of pain there's people wanting to get fired there's people getting 100 million dollar extensions sometimes as well so rivalry week can make and break a lot for for a lot of these schools yeah i mean look i mean hey there's new 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 head coaching signings by the way as well in in, in college football so surprises in there uh but yeah we don't talk about the guys that make a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred million dollar extensions they don't they don't count they, 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 they'll be fine. But, you know, you st- talked about new coaches getting hired. Where There's also some that have gotten fired recently. And I think that's a good segue here into our first segment. And our first segment, known as the tip-off, is, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at SeatGeek. Use code, use code Sports to get $20 off your first order. Get yourself some tickets to one of the, your favorite sporting events or concerts or anything <laughs> along those lines. Get Remember, code Sports for $20 off. And we'll go and start. Rip the bandit off. Frank Reich out in Carolina less than not even 12, like, was it 10 months since he was hired, something like that? Like, not even getting a full calendar year. Second coach to be fired this year with Josh McDaniels getting the first axe, but Frank Reich unfortunately takes over in Carolina and doesn't even get a full year to do everything. So my first reaction is, why? Like, what what good's coming out of this? Because not only are you losing your head coach, you fired your quarterback's coach in Josh McCown, your running back's coach in Deuce Staley. You pretty much gutted them after 11 weeks, 12 weeks. Okay, what are you going to learn from these five weeks without him? You can't just let him finish the season and somewhat right the ship, see what can happen. I mean, now you're just is it reeked of desperation, it reeked of impatience, and it reeked of I'm playing Madden and throwing a temper tantrum. Basically, that's what it feels like. It was a very, I don't obviously, Frank, things weren't working too well, but I mean, you had you had no skill positions for Bryce Young. Your number one overall pick that you traded everything for is five foot ten and one hundred ninety pounds. It's going to take a minute to integrate like that at a different, different pace. You have a shaky offensive line at best. I might be being generous, call it shaky. Honestly, I might be being polite at this point. An injured and okay defense that has its moments. Good players, but overall not that great all time. And honestly, Frank as a head coach, his play calling has gone a little stale. It's kind of plateaued the last few years. But that was like the fourth thing that I listed there that was a problem with him. And now you're just paying it. Now you're going to pay him like $20 million while you're paying another coach. You're doing something the Raiders would do when you fire Gruden and then you fire McDaniels. You're going to be paying more. You're going to be paying so much money to people to be away from the team. So I feel like this was the wrong decision. I don't, it just reeks of why. That's the only way I could think of it at this point. It just reeks of why. Yeah. I mean, what did they expect? Uh, let's be completely fair. Like at the end of the day, you came into this season knowing full, you just had the number one overall pick. Sure, you did trade to get it. You were at nine, so it's not like you were a world beater in the first place. Yeah, you were still a top 10 pick, so it's not like, oh, shocking me. The report comes out that you were not even taking the quarterback that you wanted to take, that your offensive coaches wanted you to take, and then you're complaining about your offense. And then you fire said coaches, despite them trying to work with the, the, actually not just trying, successfully working with the young quarterback who you drafted number one overall, despite their misgivings. And honestly, they were in a lot of these games, and yet you're acting like you were supposed to be in the Super Bowl. If this if this performance came from the Eagles, oh, 100% understand the firing. Get it done. Get it over with. This, this came from a team that was a top 10 pick last year who barely missed the playoffs because of the fluky NFC South, 
honestly, any other division, they're not, they're eliminated from playoff contention by week seven. And then this year it's like, oh, we're in games. We're competitive. We bring in Adam Thielen. We, you know, we're trying to provide a, a system for our young quarterback to grow in. And then we're just going to fire our coach because we're pissed off. It just, it doesn't make sense. It just, it, it baffles the mind. And I'm tired of seeing all these scapegoat coaches come in and out of the league. Um, We saw it in, in, you know, Houston, we saw it in Arizona. We saw it in insert city here, Tampa Bay. I mean, you name it. There's been a, been a stopgap coach almost every time. It's like, almost like, Oh, we don't know really who we want to have as our coach for this new guy. So we'll just take you because you're just here, but we're going to give you three years, but we're going to fire you after one. Like it, it feels like unless Frank Reich took them to the Super Bowl, they, he was going to get fired. Like this is just, you don't fire a guy that's been competitive in their, yeah, you have 10 losses, but who's been competitive in eight of the 10 losses. You just fire a guy for that. Yeah, he's not, your your rookie quarterback is not performing as well as CJ Stroud. So be it. That also comes from the fact your offensive line is full of holes. Your defensive line has been injured most of the season. Like you name it, there's been an injury on that defensive line. Your young secondary has been off and on the field. Your linebacking core still needs to get a little better, but the pieces that are good there have been good all season. I mean, your receiving core, you have Adam Thielen. That's that's what you have this season. Uh, it's it's I don't know. Uh, this is just a franchise in Carolina who just n- always seems to get in their way. Just continues to get in their way is what this feels like. When your number one receiver is a thirty something year old guy who's never never known for being athletic necessarily, and there's a reason he was available. That's that's not going to work. You can't really scheme him open like that as well. Too you can't you can't your rookie receiver Jonathan Mingo has flashes, but yeah. you're still when he, has, when, he, when he gets plays called for him and and he understands the offense. It's been great. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know what Migo has been able to provide in in his short stints because they don't trust him on the field because he wasn't learning the offense according to coaching staff. You brought you paid Miles Sanders all that money for him to be, but kind of a running back by committee guy. You and you don't really even use him in the passing game as well. And you can't block for him as well anyway. Him and Chuba Hubbard. Chuba has been the more explosive one so far. You don't really have a tight end. I mean, like I mean they're okay, but you don't have a safety blanket for Bryce Young. You don't have anyone to take the top off you. There's just a lot missing there. It's not if you put CJ Stroud there, he's not lighting the world on fire either. Yeah, exactly. I think that's I think that's the the, the important part of this, right? You take CJ Stroud, you, you flip him with Bryce Young, you maybe don't have the same success in Houston. Eighty five percent of it, I'd say. But yeah, I was gonna say you, you you're not in the playoff hunt right now if you're Houston. But at the same time, you have four wins, five wins probably. Whereas you know you put CJ in in Carolina, you maybe have two wins at this point in time. Maybe maybe you win one of these close games at the end of the game. Maybe and, three is a peak, maybe. But even that's be just that's just pulling out of a hat. You know, the one thing that always comes into play here is, as, as much as coaches, I imagine, hate to hear this commentary because they hate making excuses. Injuries do play a part in the way your season goes, especially injuries to your offensive line, defensive line, which is your stall. That is your bread and butter is your defensive line if you're Carolina. And when you don't have guys like Derek Brown out there every single day, every single game, it does it hurts. Brian Burns too. Yeah. Like, Ryan Burns being injured. I mean, um, weren't they also victim to another Achilles this year as well? Is 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 maybe not, but it just feels like it, at this point in time, somebody. Um, but yeah, no, it's just and then Terrence, you know, Terrence Marshall, the guy who's supposed to be able to take the top off, hasn't quite um, handled. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that one. That one's just kind of unfortunate the way that situation has worked out. He's good in again, good in flashes. Um, you know, you mentioned Mingo. Good in flashes, just doesn't get much. And and we got to talk about Miles Sanders here. I said this when he went to Carolina. I thought he got overpaid. I said this in his all his heydays, and if you can even call it heydays in Philadelphia, I, I mean, he is a slightly above average NFL running back, which is nothing wrong with that. Let's be very clear. There's nothing wrong with being an average NFL running back. But if we're being fair, you're the reason why Kenneth Gainwell carried the ball 30-plus percent of the time in Philadelphia, why he had 30% of the snaps going into the playoffs last year. Why Kenneth Gainwell on a on a clutch drive for Philadelphia in the Super Bowl is on the field and not Miles Sanders. I mean, we're talking about a guy who missed wide-open gaps in a Super Bowl game. I mean, yeah, gaps I could have walked through and gained 10 yards. I mean, that's just saying something. So, yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders, look, I, anybody expected the world beater that he was being paid to be like? I'm sorry, you were. 
there's some misgivings there. But uh, look, he's a good he's a good running back in, in as you mentioned in, in in a platoon. But yeah, Chubba Hubbard is that that was the dude. So and neither one of them is gonna be that great when you can't really pass block when you can't block for him either. Like when there's nowhere to run, like good luck. It's like have fun. It's whoever catches the ball a little bit better in space, and that's Chuba at this point. So it's like there's and, no worry about anybody taking the top off. So there's eight nine in the box. So every single you can time. man up on the outside. Bryce Young can elude a little bit, but he's not he's not Anthony Richardson, Lamar Jackson. He's not like that. He's not gonna break you with his legs. He's gonna annoy you with his legs and extend plays. That's kind of what he does. He's not and even if he does get running, he, once you get close to him, he's gonna have to slide. You can't let him be taking hits at this point. Like he's not built for that. As as much as much as we both talked about, like we're not as concerned about his size. We were under the impression that they would be able to get people open and have an offense under that. When it comes to moving and getting out of the pocket, that sort of thing, that's when it comes into play. So it's an absolute mess. Uh, here's the thing. You give him to his offense where that 2.4 second release time. He'll wow. Throw, he'll throw darts. Yeah. I mean, I think you see a Bryce Young that's lighting the league up right now. I just, you put him in an offense that requires time for things to get open. That doesn't have an offensive line. I'm going to repeat no that. That does not have an offensive line. Um, yeah. You're, you're asking for just tragedy because uh, look from a corner standpoint, all you got to do is guard them 10 yards basically. And then they're not. Then you don't have to worry because after ten yards, your 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 defensive line is already getting to the quarterback. It's the exact same offense Frank Wright brought to Indy when he started in 2018 that he had with that he ran with Andrew Luck and all of them. It's the exact same. The difference is you don't have Andrew Luck, Philip Rivers back there, or even to another extent when you have Carson Wentz and Jonathan Taylor breaking records. Like it's and you don't have the same old line or the weapons. It's the exact same play calling. The exact same. Nothing has really changed, and teams have caught on to that. So I get it in that perspective where he was flawed, but like. You fire him after 11 games, wait till the end of the season and just give him the axe at that point. At this point, you're proving nothing and you're making it even harder for Bryce Young. You're d- taking a knife to his confidence at this point. This is the Alex Smith situation. This is what we're about to watch. We're about to watch Alex Smith 2.0. And I hate that for Bryce Young because Bryce Young does have the ability to be a more game-changing player. Wrong. Alex Smith was a game-changing player in his own right, if people know that you know. But he never could take his team to the Super Bowl type of, type of deal. He was always the, the 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 bridesmaid, if you will, never the never the bride. So most of that comes down to the fact he had what seven offensive coordinators in his first ten years in the league, something like that. Like it just nothing could stick really. Yeah. His most consistent time was when he was in Kansas City. And that that to point is a Pro Bowl <laughs> quarterback multiple times. So like yeah. it shows. But and on top of this too, if you're if you're a head coaching candidate, like look at the Ben Johnsons of the world. Those high those those ones that you want, like him. If Bienemy for some reason has not made the head coach in Washington, he's out there, and some of those other higher end offensive minded type of coordinators, you'll probably want to pair with Bryce Young. Why would you want to go to Carolina? Like, I mean, obviously it's one of thirty-two. So if someone offers it, no one else does. Someone will take it. Obviously, they'll take it happily. But if you have your choice of the litter, like the guys that Carolina wants, like Ben Johnson, they reportedly wanted last year before Ben Johnson decided to stay. Good luck getting that. They're going to look at this and be, like, Nah, I'm good. It was the same thing with Houston. They were. Fortunate that D'Amico Ryan's wanted to go back home, for lack of a better word. And they were able to – their offensive coordinator's name eludes me. I can't remember, but he's been a diamond in the rough. Him and CJ Stroud just clicked. They did not predict that. And so good luck Carolina mimicking that. It's not going to be easy. They're going to have to try and find a diamond in the rough coach or find somebody – Or I just it's going to be tough. They're not going to be able to necessarily pull one of those top-tier available coaches, I'd imagine. So we'll see what they can do. Obviously, someone's going to take the job. They're going to take it happily. It's one of 32. But they might not quite get what they're looking for to pair with Bryce Young. They might have to surprise some people like we saw with Sean McVay's and Matt LaFleur's. It's like, oh, okay. Then they suddenly kind of work out a little bit. Yeah, so, I think that's a that that is a kind of a, a you know important thing to note. It is still one of thirty two at the end of the day. While we're seriously harping on their ownership and they need to fix things, at the end of the day, the ownership has the leeway to continue doing things the way they're doing because guess what? Some you have a limited amount of jobs opening. So out of the 32 teams, you have seven openings. Of those seven openings, one might not be ideal, but you know what? Mm, money and legacy talks. If it, Every coach has the has the ego to want to be like, I want to go to this place and be a, be the one that makes that change. Like every single co- – I feel like to be a coach, that has to be your, your – you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to put your stamp on any team. You feel, believe you could put your stamp on any team if given the opportunity and given the right tools. Um, the problem is, is it's just like, yeah, you you take it, but can you actually be given the right tools, not just promised the right tools? Which means you're going to need to find someone who believes in Bryce Young, like Mike McDaniel was with Tua when they hired him. That was a big sticking point. He's like, I got Tua. I got this figured out. Don't you worry. You let me have Tua. You got to find someone who looks at Bryce Young the exact same way, which, 
I'm sure there are out there, but we know during that draft process, he was a weirdly polarizing figure because of his stature, basically. Give me, give me the OC job. I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll take the OC job and I'll coach up Bryce. Good. You'll have to hopefully you can find a receiver diamond in the rough because you're not getting one in the first round. Okay, I'll stick with that. Me and Adam Thielen will be me and Adam Thielen's 40 will be just fine for the first little bit. And then I'll take some second round draft picks and we'll be fine. I don't think they have a second round pick this year. Do they not? I thought they had a second and third. Maybe though the second is not the second next year. But either way, it's gonna be some slim pickings either way. I hope. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they're, 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 you can't miss. If you're let's be honest, if you're Carolina going into this draft, and I think that's part of this coming up conversation with Carolina of what they do, you know, not just in coaching staff, but in the draft, like you can't miss. That second, those second and third round picks have to be starters, basically. They can't be rotational. They gotta start for you pretty quickly. Truthfully, you gotta do what the Jets did in their draft. Like as much as we, you know, the Jets right now are like, oh, you're looking at that, like, oh man, they're so like that team if if healthy, probably a playoff team. Right what now. they've done those previous drafts were granted they had multiple first round picks, but even some of their second rounders are pretty good too. Like you gotta find a way, you gotta hit on some of the late rounders. Oh, one hundred percent, yeah. But we're gonna trip. We're gonna transition a little bit out of firing, and now we're gonna go to the hospital bed here in a little bit as well. And Jonathan Taylor once again out of commission after having a strong performance against the Bucks and bouncing back. Now it looks like he's getting a thumb surgery and is going to be at two to four weeks, it looks like. So his season is all but effectively over at this point as well for the Colts. And that kind of stinks for him. You just paid him. You brought him back. He got back, got his sea legs back under him, for lack of better words. And unfortunately, a weird injury that he didn't even know he had really necessarily at first. He was still playing in the second half all throughout with this, scored a touchdown with it. And now he's off to get surgery on that. And if you're the Colts, though, you just turn to the 10th leading rusher in the NFL on 20th. It was 20th and carries in Zach Moss. So, I mean. You yeah. lose some, but you're not falling off as bad as some of the other teams. So it could be worse for the Colts in the playoff hunt, but you lose your most explosive player by far. Yeah, this is almost an embarrassment, Riches. And I, you know, I say that almost jestingly, like jokingly, but honestly, like you can't really complain if you're the Colts because JT, while you know, he's been under the thumb of the management, under the thumb of his own of his agent. You know, finally did make that comeback. Finally did get under, get, you know, get get things going again. Zach Moss, let's, entire, let's be honest, this entire season, he has carried the bell. Uh, absolutely been fantastic running the ball for this team. And you said top 10 right now in rushing yards. So tough to tough to be like, oh, that's so sad that you lost JT when you still have Zach Moss out here dominating. And fantasy owners out there are like, okay, cool. So now I don't have anybody taking carries away from Zach Moss from me. Great! I can now take JT and put him back on the bench where he where, where I wanted him to go, and I can bring back my other running back. Unless Fantastic. someone has JT and not Zach Moss, then they're pissed. Yeah, yeah. or if they're like me and they were hoarding Zach Moss for some stupid reason, they're like, "Oh wow, this worked." Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if you're in my work league, uh, my boss has has Zach Moss, and he's ecstatic to hear this news, not because JT's injured, but because now he doesn't have to worry about carrying the extra space because he had JT in his flex, and then Zach Moss. In, in the starting running back position. So that way he got both carries. But anyways, I digress. Uh, but no, th- this does suck for JT. There's no doubt about it. And we're kind of starting to see, you know, the conversation we obviously in the, in the offseason was how durable are running backs? Are they worth paying this, that, and the other? I don't think this changes my thoughts. I still think that running backs are a huge value to a team. And I do believe that you should still pay them. Do you pay them the price of a number one wide receiver? No. Do you pay them a price of a number two wide receiver? Yeah. Maybe. That's cool. If Maybe they're like 24, like what JT was coming up for the contract, then yes. A a non-George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey tight end? Sure. Absolutely. But, you know, that's uh, – I'm maybe, maybe I put them in the same category as corners. They're, they have a short shelf life at the end of the day. You very rarely see one go longer than six years in, at the top of their game. Very rarely. I mean, right now you have Derrick Henry, what, seven, eight years now, nine years, top of the game. But the, he's a rare circumstance. He's built like a freak. He's a transformer. It's fantastic. But you know what? Not everybody's like him. Um, Some of are human, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't change that conversation. But, yeah, it does, it does still suck for JT. I do want to see him come back healthy next year with a full offseason and full practice because you actually finally got to see this offensive line for the Colts actually back to the cate- back to the level they were when JT was setting rushing records. So, you know, I want to see this again next year where you have a fully healthy offensive line. You have a fully healthy JT, full offseason with JT and Zach Moss. And I want to see what kind of creative things this team could come up with offensively. Because if you have Zach Moss playing like this and JT, we already know he can catch the ball. Put him as a slot, put him in a, you know, secondary slot or whatever you want to call it. Then 
an H back for goodness sake. Put Zach Moss as an up back. I, I don't care. Do something. Put him in the backfield at the same time and see what happens. Because you can That's have a whole lot of fun. So they will have to re-sign Zach Moss. So we'll have to see if maybe someone someone should probably look to pay him if they need a running back. He's I think he's proven it. But if Indy does bring him back, you have that dimension plus a healthy Anthony Richardson. You won't have Gardner Minshew running into sacks with a clean pocket. Like you won't have him getting scared at that. It, there's nobody near him running backwards and trying to run forwards and making just goofy plays. Like you'll have, you'll have a little more stability back there at quarterback next year. Assuming Anthony comes back healthy too. So like you said, the fact that they're in the playoff. Hmm? Good. Triple option, Anthony Richard, Richardson, Zach Moss, and JT. I swear. I think they were thinking about pulling that out because they got everybody healthy back for like that one half before AR went down. I swear. I know Shane Steichen had that in the arsenal. That made Calvin Johnson a first round draft pick and made Demarius Thomas a first round draft. I think I think he had some. I think that was cooking in the back pocket. I, I I would be surprised if Shane didn't have that in the back pocket. We just never got a chance to see it. Hell, we've seen Gardner Minshew running like four touchdowns since he took over. So it's also, good. I think that we're talking about the Colts, and I'm wearing my Cowboys jersey hmm. shirt that looks like the Colts logo. Anyway, sorry, I just had to point that out. Yeah, you know what? It, it's fun. We could talk. We we could talk about your Cowboys too. No, no, I don't want to talk about it. I just like I just looked down and noticed that I have a, a you know, horse on my shirt. Yeah, you know what? That that's all good too because. You know what? It fits. And your Cowboys are looking awfully good, and the Colts find themselves in the playoff spot as well, too. But against yeah. the odds, it's they're somehow they're sitting at the seventh seed. We'll see if it continues. But like I mentioned, they will be fun next year if everyone can come back healthy and continue building off of what they had this year as well. Like you said before in our preseason predictions, they're going to surprise some people, not the way it was drawn up. Yeah. But they sure definitely did some surprising. Yeah, I will say, like my, based off my prediction, I didn't think it was going to be Zach Moss carrying the bell. I definitely thought JT was going to come back and, and run Rookshaw over people. But I can't lie and 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 say I'm unhappy with the way it turned out because Zach Moss, I I have loved watching Zach Moss run since he was at Utah. I mean, absolutely powerful bowling ball, kind of Jerome Bettis esque in a lot of the ways. Except for he's a lot faster. I mean, a lot smaller, but still <laughs> yeah, well, a lot smaller too. But as far as like current backs go, he kind of yeah. reminds me of that that build. And so. weirdly enough, too, uh, it, it's also an indictment on the Bills. It's like you had this sitting in your room and you still couldn't run the damn ball. Like you still can't run with anyone but Josh Allen. And we see him, Devin Singletary. Oh, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's doing his best. Well, James Cook is. Dalvin Cook's struggling. Yeah, Sorry, James, my bad. He's trying. I'm saying like in general, the last three years, you have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in there and you, your running backs get like four yards a game. Now now look what they do elsewhere. Just, I just see a number it. four with the name Cook on the back. I immediately think Dalvin. I'm sorry. It's okay. And you know, I'm sure Dalvin wishes he's been ingrained in watching greatness for that many years. Spoil, spoil as it is. But also, we also didn't expect to see Gardner Minshew this much either, and then to have this kind of record. But I digress. We'll, we can go into that another time. But we got one more thing to look at. We're going to take a look at the hardwood. We're going to go to the NBA in season tournament. And you know what? It's finally getting down to the nitty gritty. It's been interesting. I'll say the courts could be uglier. They could be much. No, less I don't ugly. think they could be uglier. Let's be they honest. Could, I don't they could they be much, much less ugly, is what we're getting yeah. at. Like they're, they're pretty heinous. But we're kind of getting down to the nitty gritty of it. We're going to take a look now at the knockout stage here. Here's where we are looking at starting later, starting early next week, I believe as well. Lakers taking on the Suns, Kings taking on the Pelicans, the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Knicks, and the Pacers taking on the on the Celtics. So, first round matchups. What are you looking at, Kelsey? Which ones are standing out to you? What are you expecting to see here? Well, obviously, the surprise of of this one, I think it's safe to say, of all the teams in here on the West side. I think it's safe to say the Pelicans. Shocking for most people. However, I did predict them to have a good season in our preseason predictions, um, which does also entail the in-season tournament. I didn't think they'd be one of the four knockout teams. But, yeah, I look at that. I look at that matchup, and it's very interesting um, just because they're two very different styles of teams. You have Sacramento and the high-powered three-point shooting team, and then you have New Orleans, who's, like, grinded out Zion, Brandon Ingram, you know, Occasionally they'll drop a three on you, but for the most part, they're just taking it right at you um, and trying to just, you know, use their size to dominate. And they do it well. So that's going to be a very interesting matchup for me. Um, whereas, you know, you have LeBron versus KD on the other side of that West matchup. So that'll be interesting if they play. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, the Bucks Knicks one, I, I don't know really how I feel about that. I feel like the Bucks are going to kind of wipe the, wipe the floor with the, the Knicks in this one. But the Knicks have been proven, you know, they, they do win things that don't matter. They are so, frisky. Do what? They are frisky. They are frisky. They are very frisky. Uh, and then on the others, uh, in the other matchup there in the East, the Pacers versus the Celtics. I actually really like this matchup because I really want to see what Tyrese Halliburton does matching up against somebody like JT 
or Jalen Brown? Because I feel like you're not going to have Drew Holiday matched up with Tyrese. You're going to have probably JT matched up with him. And I think that changes a lot of the floor, you know, down court matchups, uh, you know, up and down the court, how, how they end up matching up and in the flow of the game. So this could be very interesting. Um, but don't be surprised if you see the Pacers, you know, win that one versus the Celtics. So I will say, I, I, I looking at these eight teams, the only ones that really, if you'd have told me beforehand that would surprise me, I'd be surprised that the Knicks got in there over some of the other teams and the Pelicans, like we mentioned already as well. But what I want to see, are the team that last year neither one of us had doing anything, the Kings, taking on the team this year that we both was going to be the surprise in the Pacers in that championship because defense will be incredibly optional. They'll have the fun built-in storyline of Tyrese Halliburton versus Dante Sabonis in that little that trade battle royale. The offense is going to be absolutely ridiculous. If you look at Tyrese's numbers, he's like 25 and 12 on 50, 49. Absolutely incredible. Darren Fox is still outstanding too. Sabonis and him have a good rapport. It's not like the it's not like the Kings got fleeced in that trade by any means. No, no. It's, it's a very balanced Justin Jefferson first Stephon Diggs looking trade almost at this point. So that's the matchup I want to see because I'm going to be exhausted just watching it. The, the, I'm going to say lack of defense because that implies they're not trying. It's the fact that these teams just have so good offensively and they are just so bad defensively. It's not that they don't try. They just don't. They just can't. So that would be that's the matchup. I bother with defense when I could put all my effort into offense and score at a 85% clip. Like you can't stop me. Why should I use effort trying to stop you? I'll just wait till you miss and then I'll go make my shot. Like they they've mastered that to a T. This is Mike D'Antoni's wet dream if those two match up in the in the championship. And I am all for it because I think this in-season tournament's been neat. It hasn't really I don't know if it solved the issues the NBA was trying to do with it. it the courts were absolutely heinous in some cases. I know what they were trying to do with like the city connect uniforms, all that is cool, I guess, but like it just didn't work out. But the idea is fun. And I think it at least adds a little bit of intrigue ending the year in the, in the NBA too. At least adds a little bit of fun to a little bit of competitiveness. I don't know how much it's working with the players. I know early on, it felt like that way with Steph Luke and them talking about it during, but I don't know, at least there's an idea. At least they're trying. Cause other, other than that, it's short in the season, but I don't think anybody really wants to do that either. Cause that's a lot of money you're leaving on the table too. Yeah, exactly. No, I do think, um, you know, as far as competitiveness goes in this, it, it's been very interesting. You see the teams that really lost game one, they didn't really tr- seem to try as hard after that. So you saw guys, the 12th, you know, well, I don't say 12th, but maybe 10th, 11th, 12th man on the bench, plus their two-way player usually uh, coming up and, and using, you know, playing, getting playing time, much needed playing time at the NBA level as well. Um, so you did see some, a few names on the scorecard that you're like, wait, who is this guy? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do like it from the standpoint of not just competitiveness, but like also getting guys an opportunity and yeah, it doesn't at the end of the season, does it mean anything? No, but it's a million dollar bonus. So it does mean something to a lot of guys on these rosters that aren't the top three players, especially when you're looking at teams like uh, the Lakers and the Kings who play in California with those taxes too. like getting that little extra boost. It'll be yeah. real nice on top of it. And, well, and, and then look at, Look at a team like the Pacers, who half their team are still on, you know, early contracts, exactly. and and mo- most of their salaries, yearly salaries, are are maybe five million dollars, and so you telling me they can get a fifth of their yearly salary from winning it three more games? Oh, you better believe they're going to try hard. Toss that in with like the rest of the Suns players outside that big three that are just kind of filling spots at this point. Same with the Bucks too, outside the main main culprits and the and the Celtics too. Like a lot of those other players are looking at like. Give me my six minutes. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get that bonus myself. Like even if the superstar players, if they hypothetically weren't trying as hard, those other guys that are seeing that million dollars, just extra million, just dropped in. They're like, get out of my way. You know what? You don't want to try hard. You go sit down. I will take this. Like you take the night off. We're getting this bonus. And you know what? At the end of the day, this there's one thing that I will always say about the NBA is it is a season of streaks and it's a season of getting hot and season of confidence. If you win this tournament. Doesn't mean anything. Again, not really. No, you get a weird trophy and, you know, you get a million dollars. Cool. But does it mean something come playoff time? 100%. That confidence that you beat every other team already in the season? Oh, man, that's unstoppable. That's that's a different level of, of, of ability at the end of the day. Confidence is one of these. The, in very few sports, does confidence, like, greatly impact, you could say, baseball, and then right behind that, basketball as far as like the number one thing that confidence can impact, because just even down to free throw shooting, even down to dribbling, if you're not confident in a dribble move, you're not going to pull it off fast. Anybody. Could you believe somebody who's not confident trying to pull off a sham God? That's not going to happen. 
somebody like, not confident trying to pull off a contested three as the clock winds down. Like, yeah. yeah the, the, so confidence is, is a big key to this. And while some people are, are bemoaning this entire idea, I like it from the standpoint, like I said, uh, I like to see players getting playing time, but I also like to see kids getting confidence early on. You can, you can grow a team's confidence. You can also destroy confidence. Imagine the Lakers get blown out by the, the Suns right now. Suns match up with the Lakers in the playoffs. Those those like that Laker team is not going to be happy. Like obviously they have LeBron, so it's a different conversation maybe. But it's still going to be tough for them to, for the rest of that team to overcome the fact that oh maybe you just got ramrodded by the Suns in the play in tournament or in the in season tournament. Absolutely, you know it's a very interesting idea as well. Too, I wouldn't mind if they could if they could find a way to make it affect seating, home court, or something like that later on. That'd be great. I don't know how they do it, but at least it's a start. At least they're trying something. I mean. I don't know. They're trying something. The only other thing I could think of is shorten the playoff series to like three games, three games, five games, then seven games for the finals. That way you're more concerned about where you get seated. Because if you play the Nuggets in round one, you don't have seven games to try and figure out. You you lose game one, you better you better figure it out real quick like that. Maybe a little flashback to what it used to be. Make it win percentage based and include it in your regular season standings. Here's boss. Find, find a way to do it. I don't know what it is. I don't get paid to figure it out. And if they do, if they want to start paying me to figure it out, I'll figure something out. But it's not my jurisdiction now. But it's a start. I don't mind. And I look forward to seeing this in-season tournament final eight play out as well. But that's going to do it here for the tip-off. And you know what, Kelsey? That this I feel like the in-season tournament has kind of woke up the NBA a little bit as well, too. It's kind of given a little bit of spark as well. And you know what? You have a little bit of something for those who are having trouble staying awake. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can catch on to the fact that I can literally ramble on right now consistently um and a lot of that comes down to a recent partner of ours we reached out we were reached out to by magic mind uh to help me out um i struggle with daytime sleepiness drowsiness during work i mean straight up just falling asleep in the middle of my chair type of thing in the middle of the office not a good idea by the way um been searching for a lot of remedies you can only drink so much caffeine before you kind of like you get the shakes you get you know everything just starts to happen wrong uh is the best way i could put it and the good thing is magic mind they reached out. They, they they allowed me to try out their product. Um, it's a green drink here. It's absolutely fantastic. It has been a huge benefit to me. Um, it goes along with my morning routine, so I have a V8 energy drink. And I take this little single shot of Magic Mind. It's a little bottle you see here. Um, it's fantastic. It just goes along with wh- whatever your morning routine is, whether you drink coffee, energy drinks, um, anything, soda, water. Just goes along right there with it. It uh, provides lasting energy. So seven hours of steady energy. For me, I'm getting about nine to ten hours of it. I'm going from 6 a.m. to now we're going on almost 9 p.m. by the time this this podcast will end and I'll have enough energy to get through the day without yawning finally. Um, reduces stress, focus mental and focus mental clarity as well. Um, like it is it's fantastic. It's got you know ingredients in there like lion's mane mushrooms, matcha. Um, B vitamins and ashwagandha and L, you know L-theanine and turmeric for stress management. So it covers all the gambit of things that I've struggled with, with sleepiness, stress, focus, energy throughout the day. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Cool thing about Magic Mind has a full time money back guarantee. All you have to do is go check out Magic Mind's website. Um, and while you're over there, head on over, type in the code HILO twenty for fifty six percent off of a subscription order or if you already have the subscription ordered you get another 20 percent off so it's not too bad uh, it's been absolutely fantastic since I, i've tried it you know i was a little hesitant at first uh, you know if you guys go back oh, three weeks now um you know my first review was i don't know if it really helped me focus i sat down and knocked out a six-hour project in three hours because i was not sitting i was not getting distracted i was able to focus i was able to get everything done and do it right and that was the important thing there was no redos none of that as well um, no questions about it. So yeah, like I said, uh, head on over to magicmind.com backslash Hilo 20 and get in type in the code Hilo 20 uh, for 56% off of your subscription or 20% off. If you already have a subscription for the next 10 days. Um, but yeah, you'll be hearing a lot more about magic mind as we continue our partnership with them. Absolutely fantastic. We greatly appreciate them reaching out to us. I don't think we thank them for our Thanksgiving stuff as in my appreciation, but I have been greatly appreciative of magic mind right now because Seriously, it's it's been fantastic getting me through all these long days. So, cannot wait to continue uh, my journey with them. So, yeah, it's been been great so far. And and, and we'll, don't worry, we'll keep you guys updated going forward. Absolutely. And you know what, Magic Mind is that it present our main event is presented by Magic Mind. Once again, use code HILO for tw- HILO twenty for fifty percent off your subscription order, as Kelsey mentioned as well. Too, and this main event's gonna be a little bit magical, depending on who you talk to as well. Too, we're gonna take a look at college football and. We're going to start with rivalry just wrapped up as well too. Quite the um, 
quite quite the recap, I guess we could something. say. It was quite something, yeah. Yeah, it was quite something. We'll go and start Oregon, Oregon State. Honestly, not as competitive as I thought it would be. Uh, Oregon kind of ran rudd shop through them, expected them to win, but didn't expect them to, for lack of better terms, dominate. Like, it really wasn't competitive. But we talked about if it was in Oregon State, you might even be picking the upset for the Oregon State. But since it was in Eugene, it was going to take going to take Oregon, but a little close. But Oregon didn't even give a chance to breathe. They pretty much suffocated him right out of the gate. Bo Nix, um, he didn't stamp his Heisman Trophy, but he stamped a trip to New York, I'd say. Oh, yeah, 100%. I said that, you know, I said this in the lead up. I think he's already in New York, but I think this game for sure solidified it um, to the point where maybe I'm even reconsidering my Heisman Trophy pick. I don't think I am, actually. But and then we'll get to that one here in a moment. Um, but no, I think, I think right now you, you look at it, I, I mentioned it, Corvallis is a, is, is a tough place to play if it was in, if it was in, if it was in Corvallis, but because it's in Eugene, Autzen Stadium, there's an old saying in Autzen Stadium, you go over the river and through the woods to Autzen Stadium, we go. It is literally like that to get to the stadium from the main campus for Oregon, and it echoes unbelievably loud. One of two stadiums that is built to handle the echoes in college football that way and reverberate, it has called the Autzen Bounce. Um, super fantastic still, by the way. I just need to repeat this and how cool that is that they built this with that in mind. And it came into play. Uh, I mean, Oregon was absolutely dominant. The amount of, I'm going to say they were just mis- miscommunications from Oregon State, whether it be blocking or, or or finding your gap or anything like that, offensively and defensively. It was insane. I, I mean, That game was about as non-competitive as it possibly gets. It felt like an Ohio or Oklahoma, Oklahoma State type of matchup when Oklahoma was at its top. Like that's what it felt like. Like it was like, oh, this is a rivalry. Great, but no, it was it was tough. I mean, I feel bad for DJU, but Oregon State had a good year. They did what they could. Um, but yeah, Oregon was. <laughs> and you got to say this team has gotten a lot better um, since that loss to Washington early on in the season. Absolutely, they've looked. Minus that game, they've looked pretty much unbeatable. It feels like, and even that game, they lost late. So we'll, yeah. we'll definitely keep, that that matchup's going to be fun. We'll talk a little bit later. But you mentioned Washington. We'll go ahead and jump to the Apple Cup now. Washington versus Washington State. Interesting rivalry, to say at least that Washington has kind of dominated for the most part. But it's always been fun games, and once again, winning by the skin of their teeth. Washington undefeated, but they don't. It's definitely getting difficult down the stretch, as you can see too. Like they've had some re- weirdly close games. The defense, as you could tell. Doesn't really stop anybody, but they get they're in the right place at the right time down the stretch. It feels like offensively they're as good as it gets. We already knew that, but defensively they're going to have to be on their p's and q's when they deal with Oregon in that in that Pac-12 championship. They the last couple of weeks the performances they had they definitely can't do that again. So defensively they got to find a way to tighten that up a little bit. But a win is a win, and here they go to the conference championship. Yeah, they don't ask how pretty; they just ask how many, right? Um, unfortunately for for Michael Penix, it was a rough night. Uh, 18 of 33, his worst game by far as a Husky, it feels like, um, at least since early last year. And, yeah, it just wasn't great. But when it mattered, when it was game time, 65-yard drive to seal the game. I mean, he, he absolutely fantastic down the stretch. That 42-yard field goal was money, as, as money as it gets. And you, you saw the emotion on Michael Penix's – well, you didn't see the emotion if you were watching it on TV – but you could witness the emotion of his body language um, th- with him stuck in stuck his head in the uh, TV or in the in the phone stand and everything during all, during all that. It was that's what college football is all about. So you enjoy that moment, um, especially Apple Cup rivalry. That that rivalry we've talked about it before on the show. It's one of our favorite rivalries, one of the most underrated rivalries I think in in college football because you never know. The like, that's literally the one you just always throw out the record for. You just never know what's going to happen. Wild things happen whether it's in Pullman or whether it's in in uh, Seattle. So. Um, but it was a good showing back and forth. Uh, I'll have a little bit more to say, talk about Cam Ward here later on in the, in the show. But I mean, like, we talk about a, a kid who's who's ready to play. Um, he's he's got a lot to say um, going forward in the next season. But right now, Michael Penix and Washington got to figure out something to do with Oregon with with Bo Nix in Oregon. But it'll be fun. It'll be a fun game nonetheless. Absolutely, and you know, Oregon's gonna their defense may be better, but they got it. They got a, they got their hands filled as well too. That game feels like whoever makes the first mistake or whoever makes the last mistake, it's gonna it's gonna be the win, depending on how it goes. But that should be one heck of a matchup. But we're gonna now go to the game, also known also known as Ohio State versus Michigan, and we're competitive, kind of like we expected a good Big Ten game throughout. But Ohio State just, for lack of better terms, they didn't have that dog in them. It felt like like it felt like they just got Kyle McCord's not. 
bad, but he's not CJ Stroud. He can't mask a lot of the mistakes that we've seen the last couple of years. Or Justin Fields. Marvin Harrison's Marvin Harrison. We already know that, but they just they lack that killer instinct. And my biggest issue is that very, very complacentness to go for the field goal at the end of the half, that freakishly long field goal, too. It's like you were hired to not be Jim Trestle. Like you were hired to be a little bit more aggressive and almost psychotic sometimes in these decisions. But in the big games, that has not been the case with Ryan Day. I'm not one to call for firings. When you've won 50 of 56 games or something like that, I'm not gonna say you need to get fired, but like something's gotta change here. Like some of those some of these situations in the big games that he makes. If he does get fired, I get it. But I'm not I'm not running around with the pitchfork asking for him to get fired. But that was my biggest concern is what you were known for, what you were hired for, you have struggled with, and you haven't been it. It feels like CJ Stroud masked a lot of those issues that we that we saw along with that receiving core. This defense was finally good again for the first time in a few years. And then offensively you stagnate because you get super conservative. Like they had like what nine run calls on the first drive or something like that. Great. Establish the run. That's great. But you have a Maserati and a Ferrari and a Lamborghini at receiver. You got to find ways to utilize them, be aggressive. And I don't know. And you have a really good tight end. Kate Stover is really good. He's underratedly good. He's Kate going Stover should be in the conversation for national tight end player, of the year, national tight end of the year. Like he should be in the conversation for runner up to Brock Bowers for national tight end of the year. Yeah, like he exactly. needs to be in that conversation for sure. I, it, it doesn't make sense. And I've, I don't know. Mich, good for Michigan. Like we kind of talked about, they should be number two now. Whoever wins this game should be number two. We already talked about it. Neither one needed to be two or three or one to start with, but it just felt like Ohio State lacked that dog in him. That's the only way I can describe it. But yeah, good competitive yeah. Big Ten game otherwise. No, I think that's an accurate assumption. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, obviously, being in Ohio, I talk about this with Ohio State fans, and thankfully there are a few relatively normal Ohio State fans, very similar to how I am about the Cowboys, uh, very realistic. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say you're more on the pessimistic side. as opposed I would say to maybe even slightly pessimistic, but <laughs> it, and we're having a conversation about uh, about um, quarterback here for, for Ohio State, and, and the big thing that came into mind was the fact that since Troy Smith, Ohio State has not suffered a bad college quarterback at any point in time since then. Weirdly enough, the worst one might have been Cardell Jones, who you won a national championship. Right, who came in as a savior and got you a national championship. Like, Granted, all he had to do was hand it to Zeke and occasionally run people over at the goal line. But yes, same point. Like Your worst one is the one you want a natty with, arguably. And, and then you get here and you're like, oh, this kid's the, the guy. Mm, no. And again, I will say this. The, my biggest issue with Ryan Day is that he has 17 play calls to come out of seven formations. That's it. You, you, how many times did we see 21 personnel set up in a three stack to one side, zero on the other? None. We never saw it. How many times did we see two on the left, one on the right? That was every fucking play. No, she's my French. But literally every play was Ohio State running out of a two left, one right with a tight end on the right. Mid two thousands to a T is basically what the it's, offense is. And you, we all know you're running to the right. You're obviously your best offensive lineman or your right guard and your right tackle. They're all world right now. Of course, you're going to run that way. Like we all see it. Michigan knows it. I don't even need the hand signals to call that defense. Like I will stack eleven on that side of the ball and I will leave the left side open and I guarantee you still won't beat me. Like it's, it was. It's rough to watch because he's so he's one of those coaches that is so reliant on his system working that he doesn't know what to do when his system comes off uh, off course. And the biggest example of that goes back to Justin Fields, two years in the playoffs, running the same play, one losing the series, one losing the game, one winning a national title. Well, not the national, but the not the national, but to get to the national title game, mm -hmm. that was the difference. Like he loses the national title on one because. It's just the way it is. You win it on the other because it worked. And and yeah, it's it, a million day, yeah, on top of it. Yeah. But like we all knew that play was coming. Michigan knows that play is coming. They didn't even need their best corner to be, to beat Ohio State. And it felt still feels like, I mean, I don't I, I don't think he's coming back, so I, I can say this, but it still felt like even with Marvin Harrison involved and targeted almost 18 times, I feels like it still didn't feel like enough. It still feels like you could just continuously throw this guy the ball and you get Brandon Marshall type 21 catches type of numbers. It felt like they tried to use him as a decoy at a, at a lot of spots. Then they finally get him going. The offense started moving too. And I think it almost felt like he didn't, I want to, I want to clarify too. 
I don't think Kyle McCord is bad, but he's clearly yeah. not CJ Stroud. Let's like Kyle I don't think he's not bad. Well. He's just not developed yet. Exactly. He's a guy that will probably take time. And honestly, let's not forget they wanted to bench CJ Stroud a couple of years ago after that Oregon game. Everyone wanted him out of there like Quinn Ewers, and then CJ Stroud will look at him now. So I Kyle McCord is nowhere near that level. He obviously has a lot Anywhere of time. Too. Exactly. So I think I don't know. That was just kind of it was a big tw- ten game to a T. But the number one and number two defenses in the country is not like we were expecting much. I just didn't expect the. I don't know. Ryan today's got to change something. Like he's almost yeah. he's like he's Jeff Fisher at this point is what it feels like, but with incredible players. Like he's Jeff Fisher, but with a buttload of first round picks. I didn't even make that comparison, but yeah, that's a good one. Just I would also add in like, how else to describe it. On the flip side of this whole thing with Ohio State messing up, Michigan did their job. Came out there, played great defense. Their offensive line dominated. Even when their center went down, they still dominated. Actually got better, out, weirdly enough. They, like, rallied around that. Yeah, shout out Blake Corum for the literal play after seeing his number one all-pro center go away on the on the cart to take it to the house off of a, a you know, cutback in, in an open space in a lane, and the dude just takes it back to the house and then just shout out his offensive lineman afterwards. You know, I talked about this many times. I'd never, for Michigan, there's talks about, you know, JJ being the the Heisman Trophy guy for that team. No, it is Blake Corum, it is Donovan Edwards, and it is that offensive line. If you're going to give it to anybody, that's the guys that get the trophy on this Michigan team. Those are the dogs. Those are the guys getting the job done. And shout out the secondary for Michigan as well. Absolutely locking down almost everybody. I mean, you did what you could against Marvin Harrison. Let's not kid ourselves. Marvin Harrison is a stop that, man. You just hope he doesn't kill you. You just hope you can keep the Maserati under 80. That's, that's that's all it is. Like, no, I'm not saying 80 yards. I mean, 80 miles per hour. Like, you try not to get let him get hit that hundred mark. You get that triple digits, it's over. Um, but you did, you know, you did a good job with that, and that's that's you know the biggest thing. And Michigan did their job, and now they get Harbaugh back for a conference championship game against Iowa. So, let Which that be. Presume they should probably win in another <laughs> ugly game. But the funny part when you look at this Michigan team is. They're the San Francisco 49ers of 20, the early 2010s when Jim was there. He's literally created that exact same team, but college football style. It's absolutely hilarious. And I'm just going to piggyback off what you said with J.J. McCarthy. A lot of people have him at, like, as if he comes out this year as mock QB3, a guy yeah. that's going to go early first round. We're going to wait till draft season to evaluate that, but I don't see it yet. He's a fine, fine prospect, but, like, let's reel it in. Like you mentioned, this team is carried by Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and that mauling offensive line. So it's real back to those J.J. McCarthy first-round pick things for a little while. At least finish the season before we look into that. J.J. McCarthy, third-round draft pick at the highest. I would say at least second round because he's big, strong-arm, athletic kid. Like he has, He's a traitsy kid. People overdraft him for that reason. He's Donathan. He, he's Dorian Thompson-Robinson 2.0. He's a little bigger than DTR, but I know what you're getting at as well, too. Like I, Throwing the ball, he's DTR. That's that's fair. I'm just saying, like, they're looking back. I can make that guy. Like, they'll be like, oh, I can yeah, turn. I can hold that can. But either way. That's going to lead us to the last conference championship game. Alabama versus Auburn, the Iron Bowl. The one that DJ called correctly of Auburn that Alabama will win, but Auburn will cover as painful as it was. Fourth and forever. Kelsey, you know what? This isn't even my job to talk. You know what? This feels this feels like a this feels like a, this feels like a Kelsey moment. So I'm just I'm just gonna let you take I'm gonna let you take the reins at this point. Yeah, this one hurt, man. Um okay, so first of all, let me just be very clear. Let's have a, a come to Jesus moment for all Auburn fans. There was not a single person to blame for that game. The better team at the end of the night won. However, we can all say that the referees sucked. And when I say we, I do mean both Auburn and Alabama fans can easily say that. It's not the first time in the Iron Bowl that we've had missed calls and blown calls and just awful officiating. Because there was. There was just awful officiating. Say what you will about the last play. Say what you will about the muff punt. Freakish things happen in Jordan Hare Stadium, especially during the Iron Bowl. We all know this. We were all there for kick six. We were all there for the prayer at Jordan Hare. We're all there for Bo over the top. Uh, you know, just add this one in the long, large laundry list of things. This one just happened to be negative for Auburn. Um, the rain game versus West Virginia, if you guys remember back that long Steve Slayton for West Virginia. You know, there are a thousand and one type of things that have happened in that stadium that just are freakish. And, you know, everybody that needs to have a conversation about this, that wants to blame somebody, stop. You blame yourself. Because if you're that upset about this team who turned over its entire team, literally lost 26 players last year and had to fill in through the portal and through recruiting the last minute from Hugh Freeze, is a bowl-eligible team who just took a top-10 team to the brink of death. 
to a fourth and 31. Ended up losing. Sure. But it was a fourth and 31 play in an Alabama-Auburn game. You know something crazy is going to happen. And that's what the game is decided on. Every Auburn fan should be ecstatic right now. And I don't mean like, oh, like don't imagine like the loss hurt. Yeah, absolutely, it hurts. But every Auburn fan needs to focus on the fact that looking forward, Hugh Freeze has this team playing out of its mind. There's no reason Auburn and its current talent level should be keeping up with Alabama despite all their down season talk. There's no reason that conversation should ever be had. I believe that Auburn, had, it was a woeful belief. Let me be very honest. I was very much reaching, you know, pulling this one out of a dark hole to try to like root for Auburn and, and pretend that I believe they have a chance. But at the end of the day, every Auburn fan has that naivety to them. And, you know, it's it's tough, but it's like, yeah. I I just need to have that conversation with Auburn fans. We need to, we need to look at the light at the end of the tunnel here. Yes, we're going to be playing in the Liberty Bowl or whatever it is, Magnolia Bowl in Birmingham. That's fine. You know what? I'm okay with being able to play in that bowl this week, this year. Maybe the Belk Bowl. I don't know which one it is this year. Because you know what? Bowl time, baby. It's bowl eligible season. Like, I don't care that it's a six-win season because there shouldn't have been six wins for this team. They didn't have a quarterback until week, what, 10? Like, come on, man. Uh, understand this game was a fantastic game. It does hurt. There's no question about that. But if you're truly a fan of the game, if you're truly a fan of Auburn, you're truly a fan of this rivalry, what it could mean, you understand that this is just setting up for a long next four years or however long both Saban and Hugh Freeze line up. Because, by the way, this is only Hugh Freeze's second loss. He is 2-2 two and two against an Alabama-coached Nick Saban, or a Nick Saban-coached Alabama in his career. Just think about that. He is just shy of joining only Gus Malzahn to beat the man three times. You got to imagine he's going to keep getting a chance. At least he at least gets two more chances, I believe, out of this one. So while this game sucked, while the fourth and forever is going to live it out in infamy, shout out Jalen Milrow for, you know, overcoming. Literally, this is the moment he overcomes everything that he had to deal with this season. So congratulations to him because the kid doesn't deserve to be treated the way he was been treated by that offensive coordinator and by that team and by those fans. Um, there's a spot for you in Auburn if you ever want to transfer. Uh, but, and you know what, I don't even know who the kid is that caught the ball, but congratulations to him for doing the one thing that you're never supposed to do in a fourth and long situation. And that's get behind the secondary. So yeah, yeah. I digress now. It's all good. You know that, that was reasonable and you managed to do it without falling apart. So, you know, that'll work, but that that's kind of a fair way to put it. And I did see, I wish I could find it again. I would wish I could find the picture of the account, but somebody bet like, a thousand dollars on Auburn to win money line beforehand. They cashed out during that timeout before the fourth down. Like they were, they were keeping it. Then during that timeout, they're like, "No, nah, I'm getting out of here," and got like ninety eight percent of the wins. So they got like nine thousand yeah. dollars or something like that. Ridiculous. Oh no, that's not even the biggest one. The biggest one I saw is a dude bet five hundred dollars on on Auburn to win and pulled back ninety three k, which is just kudos what? to those people who thought to do that. Kudos to them for thinking it through. Maybe I'm just too much of a diehard. I was like, no, I'm riding to the till the end of the day. I can't pull money out. Yeah, I'll put a dollar on the game, so I wasn't too worried. That that that, that hurts a little bit less if it works out. But yeah. Alabama's uh, prize for winning this game is they now get to face Georgia for the SEC championship game, and that's going to segue us into the conference championship game previews here. And we're going to cruise through these. We're not going to take too much time. We'll pick the winners, and we'll go ahead and pick a sentence. So we kind of mentioned it there. Georgia, Alabama, SEC. What, how are we feeling, Kelsey? Does, does Jalen Milrow get it done, or Georgia could fight? Georgia. Out? I'm sorry, it's going to take a lot to beat Georgia. Georgia mm-hmm. is is my 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 victor here. I think Georgia is not as good as the last couple of years, but they're more than good enough to win this game still. And I think there's only two teams in the country that could beat them, and one of them is not necessarily Alabama right now. So I agree with you. I think Georgia is going to take take this one as well. Next, we'll go ahead and move over to the Big Twelve. Uh, on paper, less competitive-looking one is we got Texas taking on number 18th-ranked Oklahoma State. I'll go ahead and just go first. I think Texas doesn't roll like they should, but they'll find a way to win. Yeah, I think I agree. I think Texas wins, but I will say Oklahoma State covers that 21-point spread right now. Is it 21 right now? They'll cover that. They'll, they'll Texas will win by like 10 is what I'm thinking. Yeah, last I checked, it was I think it was 21. It might have dropped down to 17. But, yeah, it was still – it's a, almost three touchdown difference and and look if you haven't seen Oklahoma State play they grind you out on the ground 
So <laughs> there's not going to be enough time to score three extra touchdowns after getting a lead. So yeah, I don't, I don't see that. I, I say Texas wins, but Oklahoma state covers the spread there. You mentioned grinding down. That's a good way to go into the big 10 championship games. We have Michigan taking on Iowa, a surprise Iowa team, which is winning the only way Iowa knows how to do with having a Heisman trophy candidate worthy punter and a really, really good defense at this point too. And they find themselves in the championship game against Michigan, but that's probably where it ends. This has like 21 to six written all over it. Unfortunately, I just, I think Michigan's going to take care of it. Uh, I think it's a 32 point over under on this one. You might still have to hit the under on this. Um, I was talking to my buddy before this, before the the cast, and he was able to buy down to 27 points for the over. And I was like, okay, that's maybe the only way I feel comfortable with an over is at 27 points here, because like 21, it. 23 of those, 24 of those are going to come from Michigan, and you got to imagine they can get seven. Oh, Iowa can cover you for seven. Um, but yeah, no, I just if. Cade McNamara had not torn his knee up early this season. This is a completely different conversation because there's a rivalry battle with the quarterbacks there. And we all talk about players with vengeance. They, they're not a play, They're not somebody you want to mess with usually. Um, so unfortunately, this is not the case. I, I do think Iowa does play well, though. Um, this is Brian Ferentz's last uh, hurrah, if you will, with Iowa and after the bowl game. Um, so, yeah, it's. I think Michigan wins, but, yeah, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a grind. Exactly. It's, it, it ain't going to be pretty, that's for sure. It ain't going to be pretty or it's going to be real ugly for Iowa, I think. If it's their best hope is that it's hideous for everybody. But next up, we're going to go to the ACC championship as we have Florida State taking on Louisville. Louisville coming off a surprise loss. Takes a little bit of the fun out of this one as well. But nonetheless, ACC championship game on the line. Florida State without Jordan Travis. We're still going to take Florida State. I still think they find a way to grind out an ugly win in this one. I don't like it as much, but I think – I'm going to take Florida State, but that's because I don't really like either one of these teams right now after Louisville's loss last week. Uh, funny enough, Florida State was my preseason. This is actually my preseason prediction for this um, championship game, and I'm actually shocked that it panned out this way. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with Florida State. I'd, uh, they're my preseason prediction. I, I had Jordan Travis potentially as a Heisman Trophy fit finalist. Um, obviously, up until the injury, you probably could say he was. Um, unfortunately, now you're down to your backup quarterback, and – he did what he had to do last week. It wasn't pretty, wasn't great, but you know what? It got the job done, and now you're in a championship game. See if your defense can carry you the rest of the way there. Uh, unfortunately, I do think no matter what, once they get through this game, if they're in the playoff, that's not gonna be a, that's gonna be a very short end of the conversation. But I think for now, I'm gonna say Florida State wins this one. Yeah, absolutely, and I that's gonna take us now to the big one, the one we've had been waiting for right now. Oregon taking on Washington, three versus five. Undefeated versus the best one-loss team, I think we could say, at this point in the country. It should be winner gets it no matter what, but obviously with college football playoff committee, you can never trust them completely. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Bo Nix versus Michael Penix, arguably two of the three Heisman Trophy frontrunners, two of the three best teams all year long, rematching in Allegiant Stadium. Though For all the marbles and some Washington, Oregon, riding with your boy Bo Nix, does Penix do it times two? Um, they're gonna have to go with what I said earlier this season, and that is that the winner of the triplex of Oregon, Washington, USC regular season wins the Pac 12, and that's also my Heisman Trophy winner. So, who is that? That is Washington. Um, I do think Washington's gonna pull this one off, it's gonna be close, but I do. I'm just gonna say Michael Penix pulls this one off on a very, very close one. I, everything in my everything is telling me to pick Oregon, but I I just can't seem to do it. It feels like this is Washington's time to get to the playoff. It just all things are pointing against them. So, yeah. but I'm still going to take Washington. It might be a little bit more hard overhead in this case, but everything on paper to me feels like Oregon. But I can't do it if that makes sense. So I'm going to take Washington. I'm not touching this game betting wise. I'm not taking the over. I'm no. not taking the under. I'm not taking the money lines. I'm not taking any spreads. I'm not taking yards. Because I this could really very weirdly end up being a defensive game. Weirdly enough, as it could be like Washington's defense could randomly step up to the task, and we know Oregon's got some dogs there. And it could be a fifty to fifty game, like it was almost the first time. Like it can go either way. I'm going to take Washington by the skin of my teeth, and I think that's the way to guarantee a Pac-12 team makes the playoff. Because if you have a one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champion, I don't doubt that they will try and find a way to force an Alabama, 
even with two losses or Texas with one loss and Florida State, like they will find a way to keep Oregon out of it, I believe, if they are the Pac-12 champions with one loss. That's possible. Uh, I will say this, and and this again, go back to the conversation. We were talking about betting earlier for these championship games, me and my buddy were. And uh, he did make a really good point about Oregon. Um, top 15 defense in the nation. So, I mean, that's ma- that's what kind of equals this out. But my God, offense, the offense for Washington is set up to handle any defense because they run the most unguardable routes. I'm sorry, but 10-yard outs from a slot, an inside slot, or from even the uh, the outside man in, in a high-low set, it's almost impossible to guard it, especially with how well Michael Penix throws that pass. It's, I mean, it's on the sideline every time. It's darn near on it. It's like watching, you know, at the end of the game, you always talk about, a, you know, trying to run a play to get out of bounds. And you have the entire defense lined up on the sideline. Unless the defense lines up that way, it's almost like you can't stop this route setup. And, and you add into that the way that. As soon as you shade outside, Roma Dunze is running a post for 60. Oh, yeah, it's it's 100% an out and up. Like you just, you, and say what you will, but Roma Dunze, man, that dude is. First round pick. Scary. I mean, Debo esque in a lot of ways. Maybe even faster and a little bit less yeah. menacing, but yeah, like so versatile. Just get the ball in his hands. Yeah, just see what happens. I mean, his clutch first down or first down on that fourth down play last week was just the quintessential, like, oh, oh, he's that dude. Mind you, this is after catching a 60 yard touchdown earlier, uh, like two drives earlier. And on top of that, they can run the ball pretty well too when they need to. Like we saw against USC, they're like, all right, this shootout's probably not in our best interest. Let's run the ball. Oh, wait up. We're running it for 15 yards a clip. We might as well be passing it. I and I'll say one more. I mean, just talking about running the ball, I don't forget Michael Penix can run the ball. He doesn't do it because he likes to. He likes his life, but he at looks the same burdened time, every time he does it. Like how we talk about Lamar, looks like it's a burden to throw the ball. Like, oh, fine, I'll do it. Penix is the same way with running. Like, oh, fine, I'll take the ten yards, but yeah. I'll make it. But you know what? The dude rattles off 20, 30 yards every time he does it. So, just saying, when it comes down to it, and I still, and this is the big thing, and this is this is my bias against Bo Nix, and it'll just, it is what it is. Yes, he's a Heisman Trophy finalist, potential Heisman winner, probably finishes second in the Heisman Trophy. Um, just don't trust him to hold on to the ball, period. Point blank. End of story. I've seen him throw far too many picks in crunch time. I've seen him turn the ball over far too many times. It scares me. I just can't put money on Bo Nix ever. What's really funny about this game looking at it as well, too, is both of those teams, both of, those are the senior citizen quarterbacks in college football, arguably, as well, too. Like they've been around for a minute, they've been. Like they've for different reasons, obviously, to transfers as well as injuries and the situation in Auburn with Bo Nix leaving as well. So, like, they both have four or five years of starting experience on top of everything. And yes, Kevin, and yes, Bo Nix is an absentee father, evidently. That being said, I I'll just say I think there's I think it's an incredible quarterback matchup too that we all that we really see in the Pac-12 more than that we've seen in the Pac-12 historically. I think it's a good one to wrap out the Pac-12 as a whole as well too. It's a great matchup, but. I can't pick Oregon, even though everything points to like you mentioned top 15 defense. They feel like the Cowboys of college football. They, they <laughs> kill those teams. They're supposed to where Washington kind of survives them. Like when they play those teams, they're supposed to win. Washington just kind of wins where Oregon kills them. But then you see like when they played Washington, how close it was too. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that comment alone. I'm sorry, Kev. I'm not putting that one on the screen. That one's can stay there. I'm just, I'm not going to comment either. I'm going to say I'm sticking with Washington, but I don't like it. And like you said, we are not touching that one. No bets will be placed on that game whatsoever. By the way, shout out Kev for uh, for being an understanding Alabama fan. I appreciate that. Absolutely, as well too. That, was a, that group chat was a very very cordial discourse between Auburn and Alabama as well. Very very cordial. Not we can all agree SEC referees suck. Amen. And CBS broadcast for SEC games. Too. Oh God, I can't. Uh, yeah, it's probably cap one capper off of the Iron Bowl conversation. The Iron Bowl will no longer be held on CBS anymore. Thank goodness that contract is over. Please do not renew that. Auburn, <laughs> Alabama, do not renew that at all. Please let it go to ESPN. I'm so tired of seeing this game ruined. And maybe, just maybe, it can finally go back to being a Black Friday game and the pinnacle of college football weekend. The pinnacle of includes getting Gary out of here. Auburn and Alabama fans hate Gary. That's all you need to know. Everybody hates Gary. Exactly. It is united against Gary is how is what we've come to. <laughs> Thank goodness it was just Gary left. I mean, it wasn't both of them. I mean, honestly, I'm sure if we pulled a Georgia fan, they'd agree with us too. Like it is a it is a full overall conglomerate. It's basically like the rebellion against the, the, the empire at this point. But 
that's going to do it here for the for the main event which is you know we talked about betting so let's go ahead and jump right into crunch time of course brought to you by our good friends over at outlier use outlier.bet backslash hello sports get a free seven-day trial bet smarter not harder get all you need from odds trends and everything along those lines and Kelsey, you got a little bit of something to get off your chest here for crunch time, if I'm not mistaken. There's a little bit of something that you ha- that you want to let out. All right, so we talk about the NIL being the wild, wild west, right? Uh, rumors have come out that Cam Ward has over 13 teams now offering over $1 million in NIL deals to transfer. By the way, that's the Washington State quarterback for those. Yeah, Washington State's Cam Ward, uh, the guy who is fourth right now in passing yards uh, in the NCAA. Fantastic season. Fantastic player. No doubt about it. Are we starting to see the point in which the NIL is making players undraftable? And what I mean is you look at Caleb Williams now. He's asking rumors or whatever it is. The the, the fact of the matter is that it came out that there is a potential conversation about having an ownership percentage of whatever team drafts and throw on top of that, his dad came out and basically said, hey, if he doesn't like the team picking number one, he'll go back to school. Exactly. So Cam Ward is now, unfortunately, under the spotlight for this one because he's he is the next quarterback. I think next year, going into next year, right now, far too early predictions, your Heisman Trophy candidate. Number one Heisman Trophy candidate going into next year. Him and um, Shadur, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah, you, you, him and Shadur. Uh, but I think I think you probably give the, the nod right now to Cam Ward just because of Shadur's just because people hate Colorado, honestly. Um, but look, compared to seven, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Cam Ward is taking the heat for this, and it's not his fault. This kid is just a kid. He's a college guy trying to make a living in the game that we would all be love to. We would all love to make a living playing. But let's be honest. The money that's being flashed around from fo- for football right now, it's insane. But on the flip side of this, congratulations, Cam Ward. You are now the face of what the NIL can do for a player. For all these high school kids, for all these middle school kids who are trying to fight to get out of whatever they're at, they look at Cam Ward. This kid is getting offered a million dollars to transfer somewhere next year, and these kids are looking at it like a million dollars could change my family, like realistically. And and let's be honest, Cam Ward is not a top-four team. He's not playing for a top-four team in the Pac-12. He's playing for one of the two finalists in the Pac-12, but that's not because they're good. That's because... They're the only two teams that didn't find another conference to be taken by. And it's not, he had some upsets. Yes. But it's not like we're talking about a top 10 player right now. Arguments can be made top 25, maybe. But that's pushing it. We're talking about a guy who could potentially be good next year. No, no guarantees. We haven't seen him with a successful surrounding pieces to know what he can do. And now he's being offered over a million dollars by several places including Alabama, Auburn, you name it, they're on the list. It just makes you wonder, is this the best thing for college football or is this potentially going down a path we don't want to go down? Personally, I like to want to weigh on the bright side of it, and I think this is a good thing for college football because you're providing an outlet to kids that may never see a football field in the future in the NFL, and they can make this money to change their lives for for decades and, and, and years familiarly. But you know what? same time i can see the downside to it that maybe we're making kids undraftable and now we're going to lose the amateurship of college football the thing that makes college football so great we might be losing i would say you no longer have to make the lead to change your life you just kind of have to get one shot at college football and get this chance like you mentioned you you don't have to get to the league make the roster make the team get the starting role and have and have a couple good years now you just have to have one good college year and you can make that generational change so for better and for worse we'll have to see how it plays out but We'll see what happens with Cam Moore, too. Maybe he chooses to stay. I highly doubt it, though, unfortunately. I'll welcome him at Auburn if he chooses it, though. I, I'm sure Auburn would welcome him with open arms as well, too, as many would. But the nice part is that you can't transfer twice in a row. So I guess there's at least that going for. So if someone does leave, they don't get to leave right back again as well. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But that's going to do it here for the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us this weekend or this week. And if you have anything else you want to mention, go ahead and drop it on one of our social media pages. Go and check out Tier Tuesday on our YouTube channel as well, too. We appreciate y'all for tuning in, and we'll see you all again next week.